Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Let's read this together. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're, what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. and Like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I asked, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Story about Philip. So who is Philip? So we know from Acts chapter 6, if I just glance back for a minute at Acts chapter 6, in verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. Whom we will appoint to this duty. So this Philip, who will be appointed to this, was of good reputation. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit. Philip was a man full of wisdom. Verse 5 mentions his name right after Stephen. It says, and Philip and Procurus and all. So he was one of the seven that were chosen in Acts 6 to be sort of the prototype deacons there. So we hear about Philip. A man full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. A man of good reputation. And we get into Acts chapter 8 and verse 
uh, 4 and on all the way to where we're at today in verse 25, which, which was taught last week, we see Philip being scattered because of the persecution that fell on the church of Jerusalem. And Philip goes into Samaria. So he goes into an unreached people group and preaches the gospel. And one man with one mes message penetrates an unreached people group with the glory of Christ. And the word of God is spread in that place. And the church of Jesus is spread into Samaria in Acts chapter 8. And then we hear about Philip here. Now later on in Acts... We'll very briefly hear about Philip again. I believe it's Acts 21 where we see him in Caesarea as Philip the Evangelist with four daughters who prophesied. So we'll hear about him again very briefly later on. But here's Philip now. So in this passage we just read, we've got Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. That's Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And I want to take this in three headings. You see it there on your study guide. Number one. We see God guiding Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. And that's verses 26 through 29. We see how God guides Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. So how, how does God guide him there? Verse 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, An angel of the Lord. God commissioned one of his fiery messengers to go tell Philip something and guide him to a certain place. An angel of the Lord came to Philip and moved him to go to a certain place. Now, where did he guide him to? Where did the angel, where did God through the angel guide Philip to? And we see here in verse 26, he says, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So think about that. He's in Samaria. He has a fruitful ministry in Samaria. People are being saved in Samaria. The church is planted in Samaria. Unreached people group has been penetrated. And God says, I want you to leave all that. And I want you to go to this deserted place over here. That's interesting, right? Leave this place of fruitful ministry and go to this, this place that seems so random. This deserted place over here. You know God does stuff like that, right? So Philip obeys, verse 27 says, and he rose and went. God said, go, rise up and go. And it says in verse 27, he obeyed him. He rose and went. He just obeyed his God. And what did he find when he got there? What did Philip find when he got, when he, when he obeyed God's leading? What did he find when he got there? And we see it in verse 27 and 28. He rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian. That's what he found. An Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So he, he, found, he came across an Ethiopian here. He came across an Ethiopian. And this is not exactly the Ethiopia that we think of on our, on our maps today. In fact, most people would place it more in the area of Sudan. But either way, this was a, a dark-skinned African man that he runs across here. And as you know, we, we just read it a moment ago, this man is going to get saved. Just as a side note here, this is an inconvenient truth, right? For those black Hebrew Israelites 
to go around some of the campuses of the members of this church here and preach that false gospel that Christianity is white man's religion? You ever heard of that? It's spreading everywhere. Well, here's an inconvenient truth. This black African man, no white people involved here, and this man is about to get saved and take that gospel right back into his unreached people group. He's an Ethiopian. It says he's a eunuch. He runs into a eunuch here. Now, this is, a, this is what he's repetitively called. Five times in this passage of Scripture, he's called the eunuch, the eunuch, the eunuch, the eunuch, the eunuch. So this is the emphasis, this place on who this man is. This means this is a man that has been castrated. Often men would uh, enter, in, enter into something like this, maybe involuntary, maybe voluntary. But it would be so that they could work in some way uh, for some high-ranking female official. So they would be castrated in order to have that job for, for obvious reasons. And that's exactly what we see here. He is a eunuch for who? A, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Who, and he was in charge of all of her treasure, all of her riches. He was the treasurer of this queen here. So he's a high-ranking man. He's an important man. And you see that in the fact that he has his own chariot. He's traveling in his own his own chariot. So we have an Ethiopian, we have a eunuch, and this man uh, was a, he was a man that was, a, that was an adherent to the Jewish religion. He was probably a proselyte to the Jewish religion. We know at this time there were little pockets of Jews all over the world, and they would travel into Jerusalem, tra travel in to worship in the temple of their God. And we see here, this is what this man has done. It says he has traveled from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. And it says he traveled there to worship. Five-month journey in his slow-moving chariot. Five-month journey to worship his God. And now he's on his way back out into that five-month journey back to, his, back to his homeland. What did Philip find? So he found this Ethiopian eunuch who... who was an adherent to the Jewish religion. And most astonishing, look, what does he find here? This man is reading the scriptures. God says, go to this spot, which seems so random. And he runs up on this man. And this man's in his chariot reading the scriptures. When he walks up on him, he's reading the word of God. It says he's reading the prophet Isaiah. Somehow this man had obtained a copy of God's word. He he'd obtained a scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he's reading it in his chariot when Philip walks up on the man. Now you imagine Philip's delight there, right? He's wondering like, man, there's this fruitful ministry going down to Samaria. God is getting me to leave this place to go to some deserted place. Why am I here? Why am I leaving? What is God doing? And he shows up and the guy's reading Isaiah in the chariot. Now, I think he's standing there and he's in shock. I think he's absolutely shocked because he actually needs the Holy Spirit to nudge him. Everybody in the world at this point knows why he's there, right? An Ethiopian eunuch, a man from an unreached people group, reading Isaiah in the chariot. Everybody knows why God has brought him to this place. And yet verse 29 says he still needed the Holy Spirit to say, hey, uh, go there and overtake the chariot. So He's sitting there in shock. Over what God has done. I thought of a little. I thought that we've, we've talked about a lot here. How, 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 could a, how could a little church. A little insignificant you know, church. Like Grace Community Church. How could we reach unreached people groups. 
like Samaria was, like the Ethiopia area here was under? How can we do that? How can a little weak church like us, how can we do that? Are you reading this? Are you seeing what we're reading? Two unreached people groups penetrated in Acts chapter 8. This is the God that can do this sort of thing. He wakes up on the man reading Isaiah. Second heading here on your study, guys. After God guides Philip to the Ethiopian, we see Philip guiding the Ethiopian to Christ. So Philip's going to guide this Ethiopian to Christ. And that's in verses 30 through 38. And again, we see here in verse 30, we see Philip's obedience to the Holy Spirit's guidance. We see Philip obeying. It says, so Philip ran to him. He ran to him. God said, go. And he took off. Make haste and do not delay to keep my commands. Psalm 119, 59, and 60 says, Make haste, do not delay. And he runs to him in obedience to God. God tells him in verse 26, Rise up and go. And Philip just does it. He just goes. He says here, Philip, go and overtake the chariot. And Philip just does it. He just obeys God. Yes, Lord. He obeys his God. And God tells us, Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. And I'm afraid sometimes we just memorize it. But should we obey it? Should we obey God? God says, go into all the unreached people groups all over the planet. And we say, yeah, but God, there's so much work to do here. Oh, you mean like in Samaria? Go, and he just obeys. He obeys his God. It's a good example for us to follow here. And so he, he obeys. And, and, and remember, here's the eunuch reading Isaiah, and so what's he going to say? He, he hears the eunuch reading Isaiah, and here's this man, Philip, who later on he's going to be called the evangelist. What's he going to say? He's going to say something eloquent, right? He's going to say something just, just powerful and glorious, some, some turn of the tongue to impress this man who has stood before kings and queens. What's he going to say? Uh, you understand what you're reading? God doesn't just use the eloquent. He uses the obedient. He doesn't just use the eloquent. He uses the obedient. Do you understand what you're reading? He says here. In verse 30. Do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch responds like this. Verse 31. How, how can I unless someone guides me? This man needed a spiritual God. He needed a spiritual God. And God's giving him one. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. There in verse 31, he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So, so God leads Philip away from the multitudes of, of people coming to Christ in Samaria. He leads Philip away from all the labors to be done there. as That brand new church is planted. He leads him away from that to sit in a chariot with one man. This Ethiopian whom God loves to sit with one man and have a gospel conversation. Let that sink in for a minute. He calls Philip to leave the multitudes that are being saved in Samaria to sit in a chariot with one man and have a gospel conversation. Now something, verse 32 and 33, something uh, 
Something even more shocking. So, so this is already kind of shocking, right? He's walking up on a man from an unreached people group, reading Isaiah. Something even more shocking is found in verse 32 and 33, because what we find out here is where in the scriptures, where in Isaiah, Isaiah the Ethiopian is actually reading. So he's reading Isaiah, but where's he reading? And when you find out, it shocks you. Do, do you recognize, look at verse 32 and 33. Do, do you notice that quote? Do you notice where it's coming from? Do you notice that quote in verse 32 and 33 that the Ethiopian is reading from? I want you to think about this. Not only does Philip walk on a man from an unreached people group, not only does he walk up on a man already sick in the truth and reading Isaiah, but he walks up on a man reading Isaiah 53. Out of all the chapters, he's reading that section that we call Isaiah 53. This has got to be the most explicit gospel, uh, uh, gospel revelation in all of the Old Testament. And just so happens this man is reading Isaiah 53 at the moment, just happened to be at the moment that Philip walks up on him. And then the eunuch has a question in verse 34. He's got a question about this portion of scripture. Look at his question. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? <laughs> so not only does he read him, lead him to an underage people group. And not only does he, he lead him to a man reading Isaiah 53, and not only does he lead him to uh, be sitting in the chariot having a gospel conversation with this man, but he actually leads this man to ask him the question, who is this talking about in Isaiah here? Who's it talking about, the Ethiopian says. Now, please remember, the only thing Philip has done at this moment is obey God and ask that brilliant question. You understand what you're reading? That's all that he's done. What I want you to see here is God has teed this thing up for him with a golf ball the size of Texas. God, God has he's set the volleyball, right? And, and Philip, Philip has got to spike it. So who gets the glory here? Does Philip the evangelist get the glory for this salvation of this Ethiopian eunuch? Or, or the God who grabbed the Ethiopian with one hand and grabbed Philip with the other hand and yanked them together and said, Philip, tell him about my son. Who gets the glory? Amen. So you come to verse 35. The softball has been thrown. Is Philip going to hit it? Verse 35 right here. Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. What a sweet conversation that must have been. He opened his mouth and beginning with that scripture, he begins to unload to him the good news about his Savior, Christ Jesus, the Lord. Now, what exactly did he say? What did he say to the Ethiopian eunuch? Well, he began with this scripture. So we know he at least said verse 32 and 33. So read it with me. Because this is what he said. Like a sheep. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. So Philip says that was Jesus. 
Ethiopian eunuch, that was Jesus. He was the one that is the slaughtered lamb. Isaiah's talking about Christ, who's like a sheep led away to the slaughter. You know all those lambs? You know those lambs, Ethiopian eunuch, that you saw being sacrificed in Jerusalem at that temple? He's the one that all of those point to. He was sacrificed in your place. He was crushed in your place, just like that sacrificial lamb took the place of the sin, was placed on the sacrificial lamb so that the lamb could die instead of you. So Christ came and died in your place. He's the slaughtered lamb. And like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. That's Jesus, he says. Philip says, that's Jesus. The one that didn't open his mouth. The one that if he, he could open his mouth, he opens his mouth and planets come out. He could open his mouth and destroy everyone in a moment. He gave a whisper, a whisper in Gethsemane and all the enemies and armies fell back in that moment just to give you a sign of his power. Yet he willingly goes to the cross. He opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, that's Jesus Ethiopian eunuch, that's Jesus, the one that was humiliated, the one who is God of glory, king from before time began. This God humiliates himself and actually takes on flesh, a body like me and you have with skin and bones and blood. He takes on a body so that he could die for you. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. The one who is the, the creator of justice, the one that sets all standards for justice, comes to this planet to save, and he is dealt with unjustly. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. That's talking about Jesus, Philip says. That's Jesus, the one whose life was taken away. He came to rescue. How's he going to rescue? He dies for sinners. He shows his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He's the atoning sacrifice, the substitute, so that we don't have to die. We don't have to take the wrath of God. He absorbed it for us. Can you see him preaching that? Now it says, it, it says that, the, that Philip began at this scripture. So where, where else did he go? Did he show the context around Isaiah 53? Did he make it to, you know, did he back up to verse 5 and 6? That this Christ is the one that was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. All we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord laid on Jesus, that, that lamb, laid on him the iniquity of us all. Did he move forward in Isaiah 53 to verse 10, where it says, It was the will of the Lord to crush him. And he said, Ethiopian unit, do you know who killed Jesus? It was God the Father that killed his son. It was God the Father that killed Jesus. It was the will of the Lord to crush him because what you deserve for sin is not just a physical death, but what you deserve from sin is the wrath of God. And so the wrath of God fell on Jesus at that cross. Did he go on? What else did he share with the Ethiopian eunuch? We don't know this, but, but, but maybe did, did he say something to him about... Because, because you see, this eunuch would have been considered an outcast. You know that? 
in Jerusalem, when he took that five-month journey to go into Jerusalem to worship with the Jewish people, he would have been considered an outcast because he was a eunuch. So did he tell him? Did he tell him? Listen, this gospel is good news for the outcast. My Ethiopian friend, this gospel is good news for the outcast. Now, why do I say? Why do I say he was an outcast? Because that's what the Old Testament said. Listen to Deuteronomy twenty-three, verse one. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. He's an outcast in the place that he went to worship. Not to mention, think about the kind of Jerusalem that he came into. Think about the way Jesus and the Gospels describe the Jerusalem that he came into. These people where Jesus comes into the temple and turns over tables... And he's turning over tables saying, you've made this a den of thieves. You're stealing money from the nations that come into this place. And this is, this is supposed to be a place of prayer for all nations. So how did, the, how did the eunuch walk away from Jerusalem? As he heads on that five-month journey back, was he discouraged? Was he disheartened? Was he downcast as he left? Is that why he's reading Isaiah? So that he could find hope in this God. What's going on here? Why does it look so different? Then what I imagine, and I wonder if he shared this with him, and I love this verse, Isaiah 56. You can flip that with me real quick. You know, if Philip didn't share it with him, he still had a long journey. I'm sure he would have kept reading Isaiah, right? Listen to what he would have came across in Isaiah 56, verse 3. Let not the foreigner, Isaiah 56, 3, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. You get that? Hey, the foreigner that seems like such an outcast here, don't let him say, God will separate me from his people. Don't let the foreigner say that. Keep going. And let not the eunuch, let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, listen to hope for the outcast. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Look at verse, go down to verse 7. These, these foreigners and eunuchs, these I will bring to my holy mountain. I'll make them joyful in my house of prayer. Ethiopian eunuch, I know you were rejected, but listen to this. And I'll make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Good news for the outcasts. I hope Philip shared that with him, or at least that he read it as he headed on down the road. Now, back in Acts 8, how would the eunuch respond? As Philip opens his mouth and he, beginning at this scripture, preaches the good news of Jesus, how would the eunuch respond to this explanation? And we see here that he gets saved, he turns to Christ. He's born again. God saves his soul from death. It's right here in verse 36 and 38. 
And as they're going along the road, they came to some water. And listen to the eunuch's response. He's heard the gospel. The eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. That would have been a beautiful moment. Amen? A beautiful moment to see this man saved and now desiring right here to be baptized. Finally saved. Did, did, his, pilgrim, did his pilgrimage to Jerusalem, did that save him? No. What about his devotion to, to the, uh, the one, to just one God? There's one God. His devotion to that. Did that save him? No, you know, James says that, that you say there's one God and, and that's good and all, but even the demons say there's one God and they tremble. That didn't save him. You understand that? What about his reading of the scriptures? He's reading Isaiah. Did that save him? No, it didn't save him. Isaiah 64, 6 says, We're all like an unclean thing. All our righteous deeds are like filthy garments. We're so desperately separated from God that even our good deeds, our reading of the Bible, and taking a trip to Jerusalem, it will not save. He needed to hear the gospel. He needed to hear about Christ. He needed someone to open his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preach the good news of Jesus to him. And upon hearing the good news of Jesus, he repented of his sins and put his faith in Christ and God saved his soul. God saved his soul. Now I think here, by thinking about that, we're reminded of the seriousness of the Great Commission, right? We're reminded of the seriousness of of the Great Commission. If, if an individual like this man, if an individual from an unreached people group does not hear the gospel, they cannot be saved. If an individual from an unreached people group or anywhere for that matter does not hear the gospel of Christ, they cannot be saved. They must think about the importance of the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. If they don't hear it, they cannot be saved. Romans 10, 13, that he saves all those who call upon the Lord. But how will they call on him in whom they not believe? And how will they believe in him in whom they not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they're sent? This great commission is very, very important. Now here we see a saved man. He went into Jerusalem, lost. He came out of Jerusalem, lost. And he was saved on the road back. And it says in, in verse 39 there that he went on rejoicing. Don't you love that? What's he rejoicing for? God just saved his soul. He's rejoicing. Third heading there. We see Philip's ministry continues in verse 39 and 40. Philip's ministry continues. Let, let, let's read that. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So first thing you see a supernatural departure, right? Supernatural. It says the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and Philip found himself. At Azotus. 
This supernatural departure. This is the love of God. Hey, I took you away from here. I brought you to this one spot, left the multitudes to go have a gospel conversation with one individual whom I love. It's over. Get out of there. God loves this Ethiopian. And then it says here that he keeps on preaching the gospel everywhere that he went. Verse 40. Verse 40. He just keeps, he just keeps preaching the gospel, it says in verse 40. Now, this, this kind of evangelistic living, this gospel preaching, disciple making uh, type living, that's a theme that runs all the way through Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 is, is, is you know, Philip's the highlighted minister, the highlighted preacher in Acts chapter 8. And all through that chapter... We've got this theme of this evangelistic lifestyle. This preach the gospel, make disciples. I, 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 want you, I want to just read the verses through Acts chapter 8 that, that show you this. And I just want you to let these sit on you, okay? Let them, let them prod you. Let them challenge you. Let them encourage you. Just, just listen to these verses through Acts chapter 8. And this, and this uh, where Philip is highlighted. Look at verse 4. And those who were scattered went about... Preaching the word. Preaching the word. What about verse 5? Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Preaching the word. Proclaiming the Christ. Verse 12. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So he's preaching good news about the kingdom of God in Christ. Go down to verse 25. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Are you catching you catching this theme here? Verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with his scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And then, of course, our verse to end it in verse 40. Philip found himself in Azotus as he passed through. He preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And all of that is in less than 40 verses. In less than 40 verses, preach the word, preach the gospel, proclaim the truth about the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ. This proclamation, this evangelistic living. And this is the sort of life that we're all challenged to live. A gospel proclaiming, word preaching, kingdom advancing, disciple making life. That's what we're being challenged to as we notice this theme in Acts chapter 8, which leads us to a place of looking at some takeaways. What are some takeaways from Acts chapter 8 and specifically this story about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? What are some takeaways? Let me give you three of them quickly. One takeaway is to be a spiritual God. Be a spiritual God. Now I'm getting that from where the, the Ethiopian eunuch looks at him and he says, How can I understand these things unless someone guides me? Unless someone guides me, so be a spiritual God. And just looking out across my brothers and sisters here, I praise God that when I think about this, God has done this so much in this church. 
brothers and sisters that I look at that I love and, and that God is growing and sanctifying us. And I, and I see that God's building up, raising up spiritual guys like Philip for people like this Ethiopian eunuch. But what are some lessons we can draw out? How, how, can, we, how can we be spiritual guides? And let me give you a few bullet points here. By being obedient to God's leading. Philip was just obedient. Listen, God, God guides us in different ways. He, he guides us by His Word. Acts 1.8 You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And Philip just obeys. Just obey His Word. Go make disciples of all the nations. Obey His Word. God leads us through His providence. At the beginning of Acts chapter 8, these people just, they, they suffered in Jerusalem and they had to run for their lives. And wherever they just happened to land, they just scattered the word of God. The providence of God led them. So I need to preach the gospel here because this is where my feet are right now. God leads us by promptings from the Holy Spirit. We see that in 829. Where the Holy Spirit says, go and overtake this chariot. Listen, obey God. Obey him in his word. Obey him because of his providence. Obey him. Have you ever experienced that where you just feel like the, the spirit of God is prompting you? I need to share the gospel with that person. Do it. Don't disobey him. Obey him like Philip did. Also, how to be a spiritual God. Well, by asking and answering questions. We see that in verse 30 and 34. He, he just asked him a question. Do you understand what you're reading? And then he answered a question. Who is Isaiah 53 talking about? He asked a question. He asked a question and he, and he answered a question. So do that. Open up the scriptures to get people's eyes. Be a spiritual God. Get people's eyes on the Bible and ask questions and answer questions. And you'll be a spiritual God. Which takes me to another bullet point. Use the scriptures. Use the scriptures. It says here, and beginning, verse 35, and beginning at this scripture, he preached the good news about Jesus to him. Beginning at this scripture. Use the scriptures. Jeremiah 23, 29 said, Is not my word like a fire and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Use the word of God in this evangelistic lifestyle. Use the scriptures. R remove your confidence from yourself. In evangelism, by placing your confidence on the Holy Spirit, by using his word, the book that he wrote, that, that the scripture says is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Use the word of God. And lastly, I'll just say, be a spiritual God by preaching good news about Jesus. That's what it says here, right? It doesn't just say he preached Jesus. It doesn't just say he preached good news. He said he preached good news. About Jesus. And man, that, that is so encouraging if you just think about it for a minute. That your main job as a spiritual God is to speak about a person. A person. Jesus Christ. And, and the good news of what he has done. We bring glorious news. People might hate us for it. People might persecute us for it. But many will be saved because it is good news to a lost soul. So who... With this first takeaway, who are you a spiritual God for? In your life, who are you a spiritual God for?
Now I want us to take away, I, I do, I want us to take away lessons about evangelism here. About being this spiritual God. I, I want us to do that. But ultimately, I don't think that, that Philip is the, is the one that's being put forward as the evangelistic hero here. Okay? Ultimately, he's not the hero. Ultimately, our evangelistic God of salvation is the hero of what we've just meditated on for a time. Which brings me to that second takeaway. Worship the God of salvation. We have been called to be fishers of men, but there is an ultimate fisher of men. This story that we have read is not just about an Ethiopian this chasing after God. It's about God chasing after an Ethiopian. He's the great searcher of souls. Let me explain that. Should Philip get the glory? Should Philip get the glory for this Ethiopian salvation? God is the one that guided him to this deserted spot. That was not Philip's strategy. God is the one who got him into contact with a member of an unreached people group. That was not Philip's idea. He didn't strategize that. God is the one who tees it up for Philip, bringing him to a lost man reading Isaiah 53. God did that. God is the one who draws out the question from the Ethiopian. Who, who is this verse of scripture talking about? Remember, only thing Philip has said is, do you understand what you're reading? That's it. God is the one doing this. God is the one doing the invisible things that you can't see with a superficial reading of Acts chapter 8. He's the one opening eyes. He's the one drawing the man to himself. He's the one convicting him of sin. God is the one that's raising him from the dead. That's delivering him out of the kingdom of darkness and escorting him into the kingdom of his beloved son. God is doing all of that. And as if that's not enough to rob the glory of man from this passage of scripture, to rob the glory of man from evangelism, as if that's not enough, then the Ethiopian looks at him and says, hey, there's some water over there. I need to be baptized. And I'm thinking, Philip, did you initiate anything? And the answer is no. God just sets it up for him. He's the God of salvation. So what are we to do? Worship him. Are you saved here today? Do you know that God pursued you? God pursued you. Are you saved? Then God did something. He moved to pursue. He chased after you. That's the God of salvation that we serve. How, how did you first hear the gospel? How did you first hear the gospel? Did you know God orchestrated that? Why did you even care? Why was your heart pricked? Did you know that God, by the Holy Spirit, cuts to the heart? He's the one that did that. God is at work. He's the God of salvation. And can you just see God grabbing the Ethiopian, gra grabbing Philip and bringing them together and saving this man's soul? Do you see God's love for this man? Do you see his love for this man? And it's the same thing with you and I. If you're in Christ and you've been saved, God grabbed you and grabbed you and he loved you and he saved your soul. He pursued you. You'll be called sought out. As the prophet Isaiah said, you'll be called sought out. God sought you out. Think about the, here's this Ethiopian eunuch. God, how are you going to get the gospel to him? And he employed, God employs one of his best servants 
who's busy in Samaria, and get this, he employs an angel from heaven, a fiery one, and he gets them two together, and through this, just for that one poor Ethiopian that he loves. It's the love of God. He's a God of salvation. And I'll just say one more thing about that. If, if you're here today, I don't know every face. If you're here today and you're lost, could it be that God's doing that now? That God has grabbed you with one hand and he's grabbed me and this church with the other hand and he yanked us together this morning that you might hear the glorious gospel of truth. Don't ignore it. Come to him. Come to the one who is the God of salvation. Third, third takeaway. And last one. <clears throat> Leave the reached for the sake of the unreached. I want, to, I want to ponder this for a minute. Lead the reached for the sake of the unreached. Now, at this time in Acts chapter 8, how many unreached people groups were there? Ever thought about that? I see some of you thinking, man, I don't know. Well, we'll say most of them, right? Just one reached people group at this point. Joshua Project says 16,000 people groups in the world. We'll just take that number. 16,000. Unreached people groups. Acts chapter 8, one man, one message, takes two of them out, penetrates two unreached people groups, and they are subdued to God. It's a beautiful thing. How many people groups in the world today? So that's then. What about today? Joshua Project says over 16,000 people groups in the world. How many, how many have been reached? How many reached people groups are there? Again, Joshua Project says uh, uh, about 9,000 or so are reached today. Wouldn't you love to get to read every single one of those stories of how 9,000 unreached people groups were reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Here's what you know. It involved an obedient man and woman, and most of them uh, an obedient church to send out missionaries for the glory of God. How many unreached today? And, and again, Joshua Project says about 7,000 unreached people groups today. Unreached people groups, meaning there's not enough of the gospel or the church planted there. For there to be a sufficient witness of Christ in that place. Therefore, people are being born and they're living their life and they're dying and they never hear of Jesus and they go to hell. Unreached people group. It says about 7,000. Now, how many out of those 7,000 are, are unengaged? There's not even a known work as far as we know in our limited understanding. There's not a known work among those, those people groups. How many, are, how many are there? And one source says 1,000 347. Not only unreached, but not even engaged with the gospel. So what should we do about it? What should we do about it? And the book of Acts is an outliving of that great commission that we've been given. Go therefore, go therefore, make disciples of all the nations. Go into all the nations, all the people groups, and make disciples for the glory of King Jesus. Do we take that commission serious enough? Does it land on us with the proper weight when we hear about unreached people groups? Does it, does it land on us with the proper weight that we've been called to go to them? Does it, does it land on us with the right encouragement? The right encouragement that we serve the God of Philip, whom God used to penetrate two unreached people groups in a very short amount of time. 
Do we believe that's the God we serve? The God that sends us, the God that promises to go with us as we make disciples of all people groups, all the nations. Unreached people groups. What you think about that for a minute? Unreached people groups. Is that just a vague, has it become, because we've heard it so much, has it become just a vague idea to us? There's just this cloud of unreached people groups and it will always be there. Is that where we've landed? It's just this vague idea. These unreached people groups are just this, this number of people that, that will always be there. Or is it a number of people, a number of people groups that we could see radically diminished in our lifetime? Am I crazy for saying that? I just read this morning about the God that Joshua said, Son, stop! And the sun in the sky, it stopped and they kept fighting that battle for the glory of God for the rest of the day. He stopped the rotation of the earth with his prayer. And I read that about my God and I'm thinking about 1,347 unengaged people groups, 7,000 unreached people groups. are saying, do we believe that we serve the God that penetrated two of them through one man in Acts 8 in a short amount of time? Do we believe that? I want you to just ponder that. Think about the years. When I think about this church, I know I could say this with, with uh, so many amens around this room. That I love this church and I love these people. And, and, and we, there's just a family that God has created here. And when I think about this church, I was just, I was just listening to an, an interview from a, a brother who's been a, a pastor of a church for 50 years. 50 years he's been a pastor of this one church, this one faithful church. And I was listening to him talk, and I was just thinking about our church, of seeing, seeing children grow up, and they're you know, playing up here on the stage after the meeting, you know, and, and, and they grow up, and we see them grow up to men and women of God, and, and maybe even send some of them out as missionaries. I just think about this church year after year after year, and, I, and, and, and us being together and united together for a long time. How many unreached people groups can we reach? What could God do in that time span? I want to close just by mentioning a few uh, common hindrances. I think I'll just mention two of these. Two common hindrances to, to this idea of going to unreached people groups and churches that send people out to unreached people groups. I, I want to just mention two hindrances that I think Acts chapter 8 in the Ethiopian eunuch speaks to. Very simple. The first hindrance is this. But there's so much work to be done here. You don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever said that? I don't want to go. But there's so much work to be done here. Now you imagine, you imagine uh, Philip. The angel of the Lord comes and says, Philip, I want you to go to that street that leads out to Gaza. That's that deserted place. I want you to go there, Philip. Excuse me, Mr. Angel. So much stuff going on here in Samaria. Didn't you see all those people that just got saved? Don't you see all these young believers that need to be pastored and led this church that needs to be? Don't you see this? And no, he didn't do that. He leaves, he goes, and God takes him to another unreached people group. So I think Acts 8 answers that, that objection or that hindrance. But what about so much work going on here? 
The second one is this, and I think it's just a lack of trust in God. Let me just put this hindrance before you. Just a lack of trust in God. And it's in the form, I see in the form of every question must be answered before I will do make disciples of all the nations. Every question must be answered before I go. Every I must be dotted. Every T must be crossed before I do this task of going. Everything's got to be answered for me first. And we read Acts 8, and he doesn't even know. He just says, go to that road over there. You imagine Philip. Why? <laughs> he doesn't say why. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And I want us to move past those hindrances, those hindrances and let Acts chapter 8 speak into that. And I want to pray through these takeaways. This is a way of closing here. Through these takeaways that God would help us to walk this out. So please, please lean in and let's call out to God together as a church over this. God, I praise you that you are the God of salvation. That you're the God that chose us before time began. You're the God that in love predestined us to adoption as sons. You're the God that, that spoke and rose us from the dead, Lord. You're the God that opened our blind eyes. That gave us ears to hear. Lord, without you, we would care nothing for the greatest treasure on the earth. Lord, we would care nothing for Jesus Christ if it were not for you, God, opening our eyes. Giving us eyes to see. God, you showed yourself as a God of salvation. The true and the ultimate. You're the true and ultimate fisher of men. God, we glorify you for pursuing us, Lord, for pursuing this Ethiopian. You're the God of salvation, and we glorify you. We glorify you. God, I pray that you would help us to be gods to others spiritually. That in, in this church, God, you would take us with all kind of different gifts and all kind of different personalities, God, but at the same time, God, that you would work it in us just to obey you, Lord. To obey your call to make disciples of all the nations. To obey your call to be an ambassador for Christ. Give us hearts to obey you, Lord. God, give us the confidence in your scriptures, God, to lay the word of God before lost people. And young believers, God, to lay your word before them and ask questions and answer questions, God. And to see souls saved. God, lift up the banner that you are the God of salvation in this place. God, use us. Let us see so many souls saved, please. And God, I pray for these unreached people groups, God, and these unengaged people groups. God, you know exactly all those numbers. We try. But you know those, those numbers perfectly. And you, you knew that unreached Ethiopian. You knew him, God. And you got the gospel to him, Lord. And Lord, we take that example as confidence in you. And Lord, we want to obey you as a church. We want to go into all people. We want to go to all nations. So God, please help us. Oh Lord, please help us. Open doors like you open doors here. God, I pray that you would deal with those hindrances, God, of, of not having the same zeal. God, thank you that you are more zealous for the nations and the unreached than we are. You're more zealous for them than we are. 
But God, make us like you. Fill our hearts with zeal and raise up missionaries, God. Raise up men and women to go into these dark places, God. God, I pray that there'd be nothing that could stop them, Lord. Just like we read in the, in the book of Acts, Lord, that all these things were raised up to stop your people, and yet nothing could stop them. Your word went forward unhindered. God, please deliver us from any false mindsets that would keep us from going or any lack of trust. Make us a church full of sinners, zealous sinners, God, and zealous goers. Thank you, Lord, for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.